Well, good morning. Man, I'm so glad to be here with you guys today. Uh, a long road to get here for sure, um, but, but man, I'm so, so glad to be here. You know, I, if I'm really honest with you, I, I wrote a different intro to my sermon than the one I'm going to give you today. Um, but I changed it on Thursday. I just didn't feel like the tone fit uh, where we were. And so I, I sat uh, in a coffee shop on Friday morning, and I did what a lot of us do, and we have to do something important. I checked Facebook 17 times, and uh, I just kept putting it off and putting it off, and, and I just didn't know what to say. And so I found myself in the book of Luke, the book of Luke chapter 4. And um, the, the first message that Jesus ever gave we read about in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. The words are going to be on the screen if, if you don't have a Bible. And I thought this was a great place to begin uh, today. Luke four sixteen, beginning in uh, the ESV, it says, And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he enrolled the scroll And found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You know, as I read and reread that passage on Friday, and as I read it today, I was drawn to some clues that we get from the message that Jesus declares. Jesus was anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. You know, in his world, there were those who were suffering financially, and he came to deliver them hope. There are people who were living in bondage, and he came to bring them justice and liberty. There were those who were blind, and he came to heal them and enable them to see. There were those who were oppressed, and he came to break their chains and to give them new life. There were, there were people who doubted and questioned God, and he came to give them a reason to trust in God's favor and blessing. As I read that passage from 30... AD, it felt a lot like 2016. It felt a lot like the world that you and I are in, poverty and bondage and blindness and oppression and doubts and questions. And I have to tell you, every single time I hear that word cornerstone, I'm so glad that it's the name of our church. Every time I say that name, I smile. I'm reminded of a conversation I had early on in the search process with Stan Cedarleaf, who's the president of Cornerstone's elders. And he told me, he said, Scott, the head of Cornerstone is Jesus. And he'll be the head of Cornerstone if you come or don't come. He'll be the head. And I'm so grateful for a church which is built on the all-sufficient death and resurrection of Jesus, especially in a time like this. Because this is a day when we need hope. And there's a lot of bad press out there about hope. Some people are like, ah, hope. Eh. But I think that's because sometimes we confuse hope with naiveness or innocence. This kind of positive outlook never actually experiences reality. Some people sneer at hope because they confuse it with optimism. See, optimism denies reality. But our hope is rooted in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Put simply, our hope doesn't deny reality. Our hope defies reality. 
We look at the world that we face today, Baton Rouge, Minnesota, and Dallas. We face the brokenness in our world, and we acknowledge that we have major challenges. But we defy the reality by our hope, which says what we see will not always be. The world that we encounter today is the world that Jesus promises in Revelation 21.5 to make new. And so we come here today with hope. That's the work of our church in Prescott. To live by faith. To be known for love and to be a voice of hope. You know, I'm so excited for the future of Cornerstone. I believe God has a bright future with incredible fruitfulness. I believe the future includes people coming to Christ, walking down these aisles, being baptized. I look forward to the day where we walk out the doors and go out in the patio and we have baptisms after services. I look forward to the future where people are growing in their faith and becoming the people that God created them to be. I look forward to the future where we don't have a mission possible Sunday one day a year, but every single Sunday we're telling the story of how you in the places where you live and work and study and play are living out your faith and earning the right to share with someone why Jesus Christ can change their life like he's changed yours. But before we can be faithful here in Prescott or in Zambia or anywhere else, we have to attend to our roots. Let me say it this way. Future fruit begins with present roots. Future fruit begins with present roots. If you've ever grown anything, and I haven't grown a lot of plants in my life, I've killed far more than I've grown. We've all learned that that the roots we build today will lead to the fruit we harvest in the future. So if we want to be fruitful in the future, we have to pay attention to our roots today. That's why our series is entitled Rooted, Beginning Like Jesus, because we want to begin in the place where he began. And on a day like today, when we need direction, we turn to the scriptures and we look to Jesus. And we say, where did he begin in a difficult time with incredible challenges? So we began within Christ alone. A few years ago, a friend of mine showed me in the book of Mark how Jesus began his ministry and it impacted me. And over the next four weeks, I'm going to walk us through the beginning and foundation of the ministry of Jesus so that as we begin a new season together, we can begin like him. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, open up to the book of Mark chapter 1. The book of Mark chapter 1 for the next four weeks will primarily be in this text. We'll be in other places in the Gospels as they speak to descriptions that Mark gives. But, but over the next four weeks, we're going to see how Jesus received his identity from his father. We're going to see how God formed his character. We're going to see how Jesus built a community around him. And then as he went about his mission. In the book of Mark chapter 1, we we begin with Jesus going to the apostle John to be baptized. And one of the reasons that I I think Mark is unique is Mark is a lot like a a Transformers movie. You may say, yeah, I'm not sure how that compares. A Transformers movie is never going to win an Oscar for best picture. Because it's heavy on action and light on plot. I mean, you're not going to get your characters to develop very much in the the movie Transformers. It's just going to be blow up after blow up after blow up for two and a half hours things exploding everywhere. And Mark is a little bit like that. It's just action, 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 action. There's not a lot of sermons. There's not a lot of descriptions. He just tells you what happens in plain and simple language. 
And so if we, let's stand for the reading of God's word from Mark chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 9 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, they're on the screen. And, and a lot of times I'm going to be reading for the most part when I preach from the, the ESV. In verse 9, this is what we read. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. God, I pray that you would use this text in our lives today to show us our God-given identity because of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. You can be seated. See, these words right here, these words were the words that were spoken over Jesus. They're the words of God the Father. And if you look just in front of this passage in Mark, Jesus has not done anything publicly in his ministry. We know he was born. We know he got lost on the way home from the temple. We know he learned to walk and talk. We know he's grown up, but we don't see any sermons or miracles or crowds. And before all of that, the father says to the son, you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. Now, Jesus spoke Aramaic. It was the local language of his area, but the Bible was first recorded in Greek. And so this word, well pleased, is actually a Greek word, eudikeo which the ESV translates well-pleased. It can also mean joy, delight, pleasure, or satisfaction. And if you go into the weeds a little bit with grammar, and some of you are getting a cold sweat because you're thinking about English class in high school, but if you go into the grammar, what you see here is that the Father is saying, I have always been well-pleased with you. I am well-pleased with you in this moment, and I will always be well-pleased with you in the future. It's a statement that has always been true, is true, and always will be true. The Father is saying, before you do anything, before you do any work, before you have any success, I declare over you that I am well pleased with you. That's why I love Mark 111 in the New Living Translation, which says, you are my beloved son, and you bring me great joy. I love the way the New Living Translation renders that word, that you bring me great joy. And one of the things I've discovered as I've been studying this passage, I don't believe this is just the word of the Father over the Son. I believe this is the word of the Father over us. Because in Christ, all that is true and available about Jesus is true and available about us. And so what I want you to do is for a moment, I just want you to close your eyes. And take a deep breath and be present here. And I want to read over you your identity in Christ. Genesis 1.28 says that we were created in the image of God. Psalm 139 says that God knows all about us and still loves us. Romans 5 says that God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us. God's grace saved us, according to Ephesians 2. 2 Corinthians 5 says that you and I are new creations. Ephesians 2 says that we are God's masterpiece and we were created to do good. Romans 8 says that we are victorious and that nothing can separate us from God's love. Philippians 1 says that what God started in us, he'll finish. 
John 15 says that God chose us and appointed us to bear fruit. Philippians 2 says we shine like stars. It goes on in other places that we are filled with resurrection power. We are not condemned. We are free. We've been adopted into God's family. We're no longer slaves and we have been raised to life. You can open your eyes. I don't know if you've gotten a sense today or in your life about what God says about you, but if you hear nothing else from me today, hear this one thing, that what God says about me and you is the truest thing about me and you. The truest thing that has ever been spoken in the world about you and about me is what God says about us. Nothing will be more true, nothing is more true, and nothing has been more true. The words of the Father in Mark 1, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy, those are words that we must own. Because our world is in desperate need of people who are connected and conduits of God's love. And before we can ever give God's love away, we have to receive it ourselves. Some of you might wonder, so, so why is God's word about me the truest thing about me? Well, because God created you. God knows everything about you. Yep, he knows that thing too that just came to mind. <laughs> and he still loves you. God knows you better than anyone else. And he loves you more than anyone else. That's your identity in him. And before you were even thinking about God, he sent Jesus to die for you. That's why we call it the good news. And I believe we yearn in our souls as humans to have someone declare over us love. And when we don't hear that love, we go looking for it in so many places. If you do not hear from your Father in heaven, I love you unconditionally, you will go looking for that love somewhere else, and it will destroy you. You see, few words are as powerful as the words we believe about ourselves. There are few things in our world that are as powerful as the words we believe about ourselves. That's why our identity in Jesus is so massively important because when we don't believe that we have worth and value dangerous things happen when we do not believe the people around us have worth and value we can carry out terrible things we saw that happen this week when we don't know who we are in Christ when we haven't experienced the grace of God we substitute other things and so today I want to share with you three dangerous places to plant your identity. Three dangerous places to plant your identity. And these are all places that Jesus was tempted to plant his identity. The first one is performance. We are tempted to plant our identity in our performance. In a few short verses, we'll see this next week, Satan came and tempted Jesus to perform, to show off. After all, you're God. You're capable of doing all sorts of things. When you're Jesus, your resume goes a long way. Strengths. Hmm, what do I list there? I mean, I could start anywhere. And yet Jesus chose not to root himself in his performance, 
but in his father's word about him. One of my great friends, Anne McCulloch, once told me, if you don't know who you are, you will always be trying to impress people with what you do. If you don't know who you are, you will always be trying to impress people with what you do. It's not a bad thing to have talents or gifts and use them. After all, Jesus had more than anyone else and he would go on to do incredible ministry. But if he defined himself by the miracles he did or the crowds that he gathered or the things that he performed or what he was capable of doing, that identity would not be the identity he had in his father who said, you are my beloved son and you bring me great joy. And for each of us, we are constantly tempted to put our identity in our performance. But the problem with putting your identity in your performance is you are always one mistake away. One mistake away from losing your identity. You're one moment of failure away. You're one moment of disappointing away. You're one bad move away. You're one spacing out moment away from losing your identity. Your performance is not a sufficient foundation to root your identity in. In fact, it's exhausting. Have you ever tried to be perfect for someone? I mean, you don't want to get out of bed for that life. It's another day where it doesn't matter what you did yesterday. You've got to prove yourself again today. That's exhausting. When Jesus came, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. When he says, come to me, all of you who are weary laden, and I will give you rest, I believe he's saying, get off of the hamster wheel of performance. Where you're working 18 hours a day to keep everyone happy and come to me and receive my love and define yourself by nothing more than my love. And for so many of us, we can't grasp the idea that God loves us because all we see is our less than adequate performance. This is the battle I deal with with my son, Wesley. He's four and he loves ice cream. There's There's a photo here of him. That ice cream did not stay on that cone, I promise you. And on a regular basis, he and I have this conversation. Typically, it's on the dinner table where he takes an hour and a half to eat dinner or 45 minutes to eat his breakfast muffin. And, I, and I'm getting a little bit perturbed. And he's like, Papa, are you mad at me? And I'm like, yeah, bud, I'm mad at you. 45 minutes is not, is not is way too much time to eat a muffin. I said, yeah, buddy, I am mad at you. But what you have to know is I love you. And that's never going to change. See, my son has a hard time with Papa's mad at my performance and my performance is not what it could be, but he still loves me. And I think like Wesley with me, we have a hard time with God because we see our performance. We are an expert at our performance. We know all the places where we're not where we should be or could be or want to be. We know our mistakes better than anybody else. And yet when we hear, but God loves you, you go, how? That's why we call it good news. Is that God knows everything about our performance and yet chooses to love us anyway. What God says about you is the truest thing about you. The second dangerous place to locate your identity is in approval. It's in approval. 
Here's the thing about you. Everyone has an opinion about you. And because of Facebook, they can now share it. I mean, back in the day, opinions stayed on the back porch or in private conversations, and now they're just everywhere. So one of the challenges about this role for me is you're all forming an opinion of me. And even in this message where I'm talking to you about God's approval, I am tempted to preach for your approval. It's very ironic. But here's what I've learned In the words of Craig Rochelle, you can either live for the approval of others or you can live from the approval of God. Those are your two choices. You can live for the approval of others and if you do, you will not live from the approval of God. Pick one. That's how high the stakes are you read the Gospels, you realize that Jesus, everybody had an opinion of Jesus. The religious leaders and the political leaders, they wanted him to be a certain kind of Messiah. People who came who were poor or who were sick, they wanted to be healed. His family and friends, I mean, if you read about the expectations of the mother of Jesus, I mean, she had some ideas of who her son was supposed to be. And, and I love my mom, but she has expectations sometimes too, and we've Butted heads. I know no one has this problem except for me and Jesus, but but he was pulled in so many directions. And if he chose to live for the approval of the crowds, he would have never lived from the approval of his father. And the same thing is true for us. If we're going to live from this, the statement of the Father that you are my dearly loved Son and you bring me great joy, then we will have to reject the approval of others as our place of identity. Now, it doesn't mean you don't care what people think. It's impossible as a human to not care. And people who don't care about the opinions of others, we call them things like psychopaths. But you can't put your identity there. Because you're just one person who doesn't like you away from being crushed. You're one negative comment on your picture on Instagram away from being crushed. You're just one text message away from, hey, did you know this person is not happy with you? Oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. You can't locate your identity there. You also can't locate your identity in number three, position and power. You can't locate your identity in position and power Because position and power become idols. You might say, idols? I don't worship statues. I don't worship little things or burn incense to them in my house. Well, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, the pastor and author Tim Keller says this. He says, what is an idol? An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. I think each of us battle idols. Because there are things in our lives we look to for what only God can give. And for many of us, it's the positions and roles we have. If I can just get that promotion into that job, then I'll be okay. If I can just get that performance review for that season of my work, I can be okay. If I can just get to the place where I'm making that decision, I can be okay. 
And we're tempted to believe that more and new and better will satisfy us when the truth is more is a mirage. More is a mirage. If you've ever driven through the desert, especially the desert from Phoenix to LA, you see mirages. Oh, there's water out there. No, there's not. There's just heat. And more is a mirage. We're tempted to believe that more stuff, more position, more power will give us what we are looking for, and it won't. More is a mirage. Here's a question for you. Who are you without it? Who are you without your job? Some of you in this room who are retired know the feeling of the day you woke up after your last day of work and you had to decide, who am I without that title? Who am I without that role? I had two, two and a half weeks in between positions here and I went to the doctor and it said, job. And I said, I'm not getting paid by anybody. I wrote Cornerstone because I just couldn't write unemployed, you know, like just, just being real here, just being real here. But it's hard because all of us have an it, a thing that we look to to give us worth and value. And when it gets taken away, some of us have an identity crisis because we realize we've put our identity in the wrong thing or the wrong places. And we look to fill the void instead of hearing the words of our father who says, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. I'm not sure if anyone has ever told you that you bring God joy. Messed me up the first time I read that. That when God hears Scott Savage, he smiles. Because I think about, well, I'm not doing that well enough and I could get better at that and I need to grow there and I bring him joy. So if we're not going to plant our identity in those places, then we need some new places and some new habits. And so in the time that I have left, I want to share with you three habits that will help you own your identity. The first one is remember. We need to remember. It's not enough to come Sunday and then Sunday and hear who you are. On a daily basis, you have to declare to yourself who you are in Christ. Every day, you need to stand in front of the mirror and say, you know what? Apart from Jesus, I am sinful and broken. I'm not who God created me to be, but in Christ, I am loved and accepted and known. I may preach to you on Sundays, but I preach to myself every single day. I don't have my iPad and a table, but, but I preach to myself because I need to hear that. And one of the ways that I preach to myself is a little bit odd. I'm going to ask my friend Thomas for my props. You may have never seen this before, but, you know, it's my first Sunday, so I figured I might as well give you something to talk about. So I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm a side sleeper. I sleep on my side, and um, I'm going to lay it on the stage if you don't mind. I have my phone near me when I sleep. You do too. So, you know, you lay down and cover yourself, you know. This isn't really comfortable, but I'm going to pretend. <laughs> and my alarm goes off and my kids start screaming, you know, and I, I get up. And, and what I try to do, if the kid is really screaming, I skip this part, but 
if they're only mildly crying, I leave them. And before I get out of bed, I put my feet on the ground and I just have a moment where I plant my feet in God's love. A lot of things are going to come my way that day. Crisis, challenge, opportunity, places I don't feel adequate for, places I feel like I failed in. And I start every day with planting my feet and I just say, I'm loved by God for who I am, not what I do, not for people's opinions of me, but I'm loved. And then I start my day. It is simple, but it changes everything. And so my challenge for you this week is remember your pastor who laid down on the stage (laughs) with a pillow and plant yourself in God's love. So the first one is remember. The second one is filter. You have to filter. Because there are so many voices in your lives and mine telling us who they think we should be. And the truth is, the voices we listen to shape who we become. If Jesus had listened to the voices of the Pharisees and religious leaders, we would have a very different Bible. If he listened to the crowds, we'd have a very different Bible. But he listened first and foremost to his Father. And you have to decide, will, will you filter the wrong voices Or will you empower the right ones? You can't turn off the voice of the world, but you can tune in to God's voice. And it is as important that you filter the wrong voices as it is you empower the right ones. And so every day on a daily basis, you have to come back to, you know what? What God says about me is the truest thing about me. And in places where I hear that from scripture and from other people, I'm going to empower those voices. And like I scan through the radio, I'm going to scan through what people say about me, but I'm going to tune into what God says about me. And then number three, you have to express. You have to express your identity. You see, what we do isn't the definition of who we are. It's an expression of who you are. The way that you are with your spouse or your kids or your friends or your neighbors or your coworkers, that is an expression of who you are, but you are not defined by any one of those roles. Your identity cannot be defined by your spouse. If you try to do that, you will crush your spouse. If you try to find your identity in your kids, you will crush your kids. If you try to find your identity in your job, you're one layoff or firing or downsizing away from losing it. If you define your identity in a skill or an ability, you're an injury or a tragedy away from losing it. So express yourself. Give away God's love. Use your gifts and talents in the places where he's put you, but don't put your identity in those things. It's not a cornerstone. Your cornerstone, our cornerstone, is what God says about us. And our strength corporately is our lives individually. And if we're going to be cornerstone church, rooted and planted in Jesus Christ, then individually on a daily basis, we're going to have to claim who we are in Christ. That what he says about us is the truest thing about us that he declares over us, 
because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that we are his dearly loved sons and daughters and that we bring him great joy. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for these words that you declared over your son before he had done anything, before he'd preached anything, before he'd healed anyone or done any miracles. You declared to him that you loved him and you were well pleased with him. God, if we could only trust that voice in our own lives. I pray that this day that we would learn to tune into your voice before we do anything, before we perform, before we achieve, before we tackle the to-do list, that we would plant ourselves in you and receive that love. In your name we pray, amen. In a second, Jamie's going to lead us in a song. And, and while he does, the front is open to you. And you could make a few responses. There's some of you in this room who've never trusted in the voice of Jesus. You've been looking for identity and value and worth in so many places. Today could be the day where you receive God's love for the very first time. Where for the first time you confess that you're ready to surrender your life to him and to receive all of those things I read over you in the beginning. There's some of you in this room who frankly need to repent because you've been putting your identity in the wrong place. You've been looking for what only God can give in so many places other than God. And you just want to come down and pray. There's some of you who just came in this week and you're just hurting. Life is terrible for you right now and you just need someone to give you a hug and to pray over you and so our prayer partners will be up here. I love this song that we're going to sing because it declares over us God's love. And before we can ever give that away in our world, we have to receive it ourselves. So once you stand, we're going to sing together. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.